0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Stagey Place, the podcast where we here chat to those who work behind the scenes in theatre, from writers to directors, producers to designers. And on today's episode, we have Matthew Zia, the director of Feeling Afraid as if something terrible is going to happen, which comes to the Bush Theatre in Shepherd's Bush, London, from the 10th of November until the 23rd of December. Now, I loved having this chat with Matthew. We spoke just after a rehearsal day at the Bush Theatre, where where we got to find out a little bit about how the show is coming to London after being a sellout and critical success at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2022, winning a fringe first for that run in Edinburgh. Me and Matthew have also worked together in the past on Family Tree, which was a modusola at a bioplay, which toured earlier this year in 2023 with Actors Touring Company. So we talk a little bit about that and it actually stems the question of having a safe space within rehearsals for actors and creators alike we posted a little snippet of Matthew's response to this question and it gained quite a lot of following so i'm really excited if you have listened to that snippet to hear the full conversation in this episode so without any further ado let's get into it this is episode 120 with director Matthew Zia hello Matthew and welcome to the stagey place how are you doing today Really good,
1: really good. Yeah, I'm hidden away in Shepherds Bush Theatre in West London, getting ready to revive a piece of theatre we did in Edinburgh last year called Feeling Afraid as if Something Terrible is Going to Happen by
0: Marcelo dos Santos. Yeah, well, Matthew, we're going to talk a little bit about the play further on later in this episode. But what I love to ask all of my guests is what their journey into theatre was like. So for you, when did theatre come into your life and you realised that actually maybe it was a person that inspired you? Maybe it was a show that inspired you. Who was it or what was it that made you decide as much as you love theatre, you then wanted to journey into it? and have a career within the industry.
1: Yeah, this always starts in the same way, and I should probably start revising the way I introduce this bit of my life. But I always start by saying I was a really naughty boy. But that's reductive, isn't it? It's really reductive. (laughs) And, And actually, I was probably a boy who had some undiagnosed neurodivergency, possibly ADHD, ADD, something like that. I came from a very poor household, single mother who was working or studying, And so there was a need for attention, I think. And essentially, I went from acting out or acting up or acting the fool in school to acting. And there was a drama teacher called Mrs Bellamy, who I remember very clearly, tight brown, curly hair. And one day she took me out of class and took me into a, a little kind of drama lesson and we did some performing and I absolutely loved it. And I think it was like a vent for me, an outlet, but also a way of getting attention uh, that I felt like I, I needed at that time, that maybe I wasn't getting elsewhere. And then when I got to secondary school in, in year seven or eight, Eight, actually, year seven, I was 11 years old. Someone said to me, Oh, you know, there's a youth theatre at our local theatre. And I was like, Oh, no, So it took my, my two pound subs weekly along to Stratford East, which was very near to where I grew up, and haven't really looked back since then. And it was a magical place, still is a magical place, but really was then, in that everybody on stage kind of looked like me, sounded like me. The stories were stories about the community that I grew up in and was part of. I remember an incredible play called Scrape Off the Black by a guy called Tunde Kolai, who was a taxi driver who also wrote plays. And it was a play about a, a mixed race relationship and a mixed race child. And I was like, this is my life. This is my complication life on stage and so I thought this is what I want to do I want to be an actor and I was at Theatre Royal Stratford East as a young company member from 11 to 16 or 17 and then uh, Clint Dyer who's now the Deputy Artistic Director of the National Theatre had also come through Stratford East Youth Theatre and he said oh I'd love you to go and audition for this part in a film so I auditioned for two people I auditioned for someone I'd never heard of called Jude Law and I went home and I said mum I just auditioned for this man and he had a woman's name and I can't remember who he was and she went do you mean Jude Law darling and I went "That's, that's the guy I didn't get that part but I auditioned for another man called Armando Iannucci uh, and got a part in his What I now know was his directorial debut, a very short film called Mouth, at which point I realized I never wanted to act again. And I thought it was the most boring thing any human could ever do. Because I was just sat in a trailer for hours and hours and hours before, and then I'd get to go and do my bit. And I thought, you know what? I just want to have more control over what I'm doing. And then I kind of left Stratford East as as an actor and a performer, and I'd got into DJing. And DJing was kind of what sustained my career for the next 15 years. But whilst doing that, this guy called Alt, U-L-T-Z, invited me in and he said, would you like to make a musical with me where we're going to take this Rodgers & Hart musical and we're going to reformat it and we're going to turn it into a hip-hop musical. And so that's what I did in 2002 with Alts. And then it was him, actually, who said, oh, I've got another idea and I'd love you to co-direct it with me. And that was the first thing I ever directed in 2007. And that was Jean Genet's The Blacks. Um, so Theatre Royal Stratford East, and I know we're going to talk about stagey places at some point. It's just a magical, magical place in my life. And it, it was like an incubator engine room and it charged me and it empowered me and and yeah, sent me out into the world.
0: Yeah, it's it's a beautiful space. I know that I've been there many times. I saw Timber and Bones, obviously, earlier on this year, which is yeah. one of your directing credits of 2023. But also we must talk about the fact that we both know each other because we worked on Family Tree together earlier this year, which was a actors touring company five month tour. I was obviously on the stage management team. You were director. And what I really loved about this rehearsal process was that first week where we were doing the research. We were looking at the documentaries and we were looking at the interviews and just everything else that could help us find out a little bit more about Henrietta Lacks, who the show was about. And what really just inspired me was the fact that you created such a safe space within that first week for us to all learn together no matter whether or not it was the cast or it was the creators like we were all in the room together and we were all hearing each other's stories how important is it for you during a rehearsal process? to have those safe spaces for allowing people to talk. Crucial, essential. And thank you,
1: thank you for saying that, Elliot. Yeah, and also I I want everyone in the room to kind of work and operate from a centre of kindness and compassion and empathy, because I think that is what theatre arts are essentially. They're an invitation to empathise with other people who aren't like us or are different from us or to watch someone and go, gosh, what a difficult decision. We've just had to watch that human make live in front of our, our very eyes. Would I make the same decision? But particularly with a piece, most pieces, you know, like have pain and trauma and hurt and they can hurt to make them and to investigate them and to have to perform these characters and so I want to make sure everyone's looked after and safe in the space in the room and I want that to extend beyond the room so I, you will know this very often Actors Touring Company we work with drama therapists I just think like in the olden days non period of time we'd just be like yeah okay and were you traumatized by that as well cool put it on the table let's all poke it with a stick great super six o'clock everyone go home goodbye and the day just ends and you don't put people back together again after asking them to like, bare their soul or share really personal, potentially harmful, traumatic experiences. So yeah, I think it's, it's essential. Even when doing Hey Dougie, we had a drama therapist in because even being away from home can be difficult being with a new group of people can be difficult so
0: I just think it's really important that we support people to be their very best and do their very best work. So it's more for the well-being as well when you're not necessarily, like you say, Hey Doogie where, you know, I don't know how you probably did those rehearsals week, whether or not you were watching episodes in the first week and, you know, analysing characters or whatever, but like you say, therapists are also there for the well-being of people in the room away from maybe the subject matter of the shows as well Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. I just Really
1: care about people, and I think we all make better work when we're interconnected
0: and happy. Yeah. Absolutely. So, we're going to jump back now to feeling afraid as if something terrible is going to happen. Because, like you say, it was on in Edinburgh last year. It won a fringe first in the festival in 2022. You're now bringing it to London. So, what can people expect if they've seen the show before and they come and see it again in London? Is it heightened? Obviously, you've got a couple of weeks this year to restage, I'm guessing, the show for London. So, what does that entail when you've done the show before?
1: Yeah. So, when we did it before, we were at the roundabout up in Edinburgh, which is essentially like a little circus tent, isn't it? So there was very little design. We had a design consultant called Cat Heath, who has been upgraded to a designer. And we're no longer doing it in the round because we're hoping that the play would also have a, a further life on tour. And there's talk about kind of international touring and things like that. So we've gone for a, always sounds more suggestive than than is intended, a deep thrust. And so we've put a back wall in essentially to frame Sam who performs. I mean, essentially the show is the same. and I, I, The thing that we've all been going is we won two awards don't mess with anything that is going to reduce the quality of the show in any way. And so we're we're trying to look for extra detail, and a phrase that Daniel Bailey introduced me to, which is excellent juice. They said when they remounted Red Pitch here at the Bush, they managed to squeeze 10% more excellent juice out of it. So that's what we're going for. We're trying to find where that detail is. What we realized, the first time we did this play, I think we had 12 days to rehearse it. And it's a one-person show, it's a monologue, and I don't know how we achieved it, but we did, clearly. We're now enjoying, I think we've got three weeks, so we're taking our time and kind of moving through it very slowly. Yeah. It's such a wonderful play. Tim. Craig Crouch summed it up in the best way when he did some Vox Pops in Edinburgh, and he said, "'It's a profoundly sad show, and yet I've spent the last hour laughing.'"
0: Well, that's the thing as well. Like you say, you've got the script before you take it to Edinburgh. You know kind of what audiences may expect to react to it. And then, like you say, you've, you've had Edinburgh. You know how audiences reacted to it. You know what people are laughing at. And I guess in the three weeks of that rehearsal now, you also get to look at those bits and, you know, realise why they're laughing and really trying to squeeze that excellent juice. Yeah.
1: And we are. We're finding out. Of course, like, it's a play about... What is it a play about? It's a play about how we we collectively, as humans, can often use comedy to mask vulnerability, self-loathing, self-deprecation, all of these things that we, that we do to kind of keep ourselves at a distance. And it's about stand-up comedian. And as I think we often know, stand-up comedians can often be people who are dealing with the biggest demons and masking. And actually, that need for laughter and that need for validation, I think, is a clear kind of, there's a through line for me between actors and performers and artists who are eternally, like in my mind, always going, look what I made, isn't it good? Do you like it? If you like it by extension, do you like me? Am I a good person? So that's what it's a play about, and so what we've been able to do actually is go back into the text and go when he's talking, what is true and mm. what is he making up and massaging to get more laughs out of, and what is profoundly true. So yeah, it's, it's been wonderful, kind of just revisiting it and, and having that time to examine all of the joins and, and the bridges, as Sam calls and how, how he gets from one moment
0: to the next moment, and he's just the most phenomenal actor as well. He is incredible. So it's going to be coming on at the Bush Theatre in London. What does it feel like to you having this show on at the Bush Theatre? It's it's a huge. Well, I say. A huge space but a huge space in the fact that it's got so much heart and it really cares about the show's that are being performed there. So how does it feel to have this show on at the Bush Theatre this year in 2023? Yeah, incredible.
1: Like through it, I've never worked at the Bush before. I'm a fan of the theatre, I'm a fan of Lynette, I'm a fan of Daniel, I'm a fan of everything that they do in this building. And I, th- I think they've really kind of transformed it. And it's still a home for new writing, but it feels like it's got a much broader audience now. Mm. It's really connected with its kind of local communities, which is glorious. To bring this show into the Bush, like I'm just fascinated to see how people take it really. But that's always been my my response to this show because I know what it does and the kind of the tricks that it plays with an audience and the way it leads you kind of in one direction and then very surprisingly kind of moves you to another point. I love watching the audience. I really love watching the audience. So that's what I'm looking forward to. And it's just constantly like punching above its weight. Essentially, it's a a studio theatre, isn't it, The Bush? It's like what, 160 seats or something like that? But they just make phenomenal theatre. And to be here and to be included in a season that includes
0: Elephant and Red Pitch and these incredible plays just feels really, really special. Again there, Red Pitch and Elephant, I saw the previous incarnations of it. So obviously when Anushka did it in the studio and Red Pitch when it was first on at the Bush Theatre. they ju- It just is the most wonderful space and it's got the most wonderful library bar as well that I like to yeah. just hang out in. And I, I did a show there last... Easter as well with one of their community groups. It was a community group project uh, in the Holloway Theatre and it was just one of the most inspiring pieces of theatre where we had people in the community who were blind, people who just couldn't walk very well and it was just such an eye-opening experience for me that I was just very grateful for the Bush for allowing me to come in and work with them. So Matthew we've spoken a little bit about their the process of the rehearsal room for feeling afraid as if something terrible is going to happen. But let's talk about the actual show. So tell me a little bit about... Where we find the character, who is the character, and where we find them at the start of the show.
1: Yes. So, Marcelo dos Santos, brilliant writer, wrote this play for Samuel Barnett, brilliant actor. And Samuel is playing a stand up comedian. And we find him on stage performing his stand up routine. And that, that was an idea that I had when I first read the play that the whole thing should be done in the form of a stand up routine. So, there's a stall and there's a microphone. And once upon a time, there was a pint of water. But we realized Samuel doesn't need to hydrate during the show. So, we struck the pint of water so there's now just a stool and a microphone and that is it they are the trappings of a stand-up comedian and it explores as i kind of mentioned earlier but i didn't really go into detail i guess the kind of vulnerability of the comedian the validation that a comedian needs which comes immediately doesn't it you either get the laugh or you don't get the laugh and you live or you die on those laughs so it is a stand-up comedian who almost certainly suffers from anxiety hence the title, I'm feeling afraid as if something terrible is going to happen and can catastrophize and can get lost in his own head. But he meets someone and he falls in love and that person starts to change him and he starts to force him or push him to be truer, to be truer with his audiences and to be truer with himself. And then the boyfriend has a mid-show revelation that I shall not tell you what it is about, but what I will tell you is that the play essentially starts with Sam saying, uh, hello, I'm 36, I'm a comedian and I'm about to kill my boyfriend.
0: And we'll leave it there. And we'll leave it there. That will get them coming, won't it? <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. I love it. I just, I'm coming to see the show anyway on the fifteenth of November, so I'm very excited to come and see it. And wow. I was up in Edinburgh, but I think it clashed because I was doing three shows in 2022. So I think it is most likely that the shows clashed. So I'm very excited that I get to see it now at the Bush Theatre.
1: It's very frivolous. It's very naughty. Very playful. It's got such heart, such profound heart to it. But like Tim Crouch said, I'm gonna repeat this because I think it's brilliant. Uh, He said it's profoundly soured and yet I've spent the last hour
0: laughing yeah and that's why people should come and see the show so Matthew we've spoken a little bit there about feeling afraid as if something terrible is going to happen which is playing at the Bush Theatre from the 10th of November until the 23rd of December now Matthew I've got two final questions for you on this podcast they're the questions that we ask everybody on the podcast and the first one is about advice that you might have for emerging actors directors producers anybody coming into this industry obviously you know not only have you been a director you've An artistic director, you've been in so many little pockets within the industry, so you must have advice not just for directing, but for other parts of the industry as well. So, if somebody was, let's say, they were currently studying and wanted to have a career within the industry, what advice would you give to them? A couple of bits, I think. The first thing that came
1: to my mind was find your tribe, whoever they may be. I think very often people are kind of knocking on the doors of buildings and trying to get a foot in the door, but actually, you can just build something with your people. Who are you studying with at the moment? And are there people there is there a, is there a producer in your midst is there a writer in your midst is there a director in your midst what can you make together and can you get it above a pub and can you get it to a fringe festival and can you go and talk to to the smaller places where you're more likely to win like the new di- diorama like the, the bush studio like upstairs at the court those kind of hidden back rooms can you get down to the etc theater in camden or the hen and chickens king's head when it reopens but that, that's what i think and i think as opposed to kind of going when am i going to get my chance at the old vic work out where you are and as many people say about this it is a marathon it is not a sprint if you are good you will still be good in 10 years time and you'll still be going you'll still be climbing you'll still be trying you'll still have aspirations and dreams so start at the level that you are at find other people who are at the level you are at that's the first bit of advice i think find your tribe and then the second bit is see work find out what you like read plays immerse yourself in the world because not everything is for everybody and everyone thinks oh my god I must like Shakespeare you don't have to like Shakespeare if you don't like Shakespeare if you just love new writing then you just love new writing if you just love musical theatre then that's fine as well if you love the whole thing that's also great so work out what it is that you're interested in and then I think start trying to find a way to meet talk to, have a coffee with some of those people who are responsible for the work that you enjoy. Yeah, And you know, people often write to me and they'll say, can I come and sit in your rehearsal room? Can I have a cup of coffee? And my response is nearly always yes. And I know that not everyone's response is always yes, but if you write to enough people, it's a kind of game of numbers, isn't it? The more letters you send out, the more chance there is of someone saying, yes, please come and
0: sit in the corner of my room and we can have a chat afterwards and I can explain why I did A, B and C. So I think that's my advice. I think, yeah, collaboration is huge. And like you say there, even when we were doing rehearsals for family, and we were at the Balgrade and we had different observers into your work over the different weeks that we had you know I remember you were like uh, do you want to go out for lunch or something and just like hear what they had to say about the rehearsal room and for them to ask you questions as well like it's just such an invaluable piece of experience I think to have so that's also another thing that I remember greatly about the rehearsal weeks of Family Tree just how open it was to allowing people to come in and sit in for like half an hour or half a day or a couple of days and just like find out what the safe space of that room was and we had the check-ins and check-outs and obviously we were saying earlier on with with Brio as our drama therapist all of those things just helped create such safe space for the cast who are doing the work and actually you know working with these themes that may hit hard for them but also for the creators as well to be able to you know watch it and experience it and feel a part of the thing as a whole like it's such a wonderful experience so you know for you to say there that you will most definitely if if not always you know say yes to a coffee or to sit into a rehearsal room I think is something that I hope listeners really take away from this yeah I think people get really kind of wrapped up in
1: the power of being a director and having a space people treat it like there are these arcane secrets and we must keep everybody out otherwise they'll they'll realize how we do it and how we do it is we do it by talking. That's how a play is made. And you try a thing and you go, yeah, is that clear? Does that work? Would it be clearer if you were slightly further downstage? Would it be clearer if the intention was a different intention? But I think let people in. Otherwise, we've got to help the future generations work out how to create great art
0: yeah well thank you so much Matthew for coming on to the stagey place today I've got one final question for you is the title of this podcast that's the stagey place and what I love to ask all of my guests who come on to the podcast is where their stagey place is so for you this could be somebody who has inspired you it could be somebody who has given you work early on in your career I know you spoke about Stratford East Theatre Royal early on being one of your stagey places you don't just have to have one stagey place you can have a few there's like a place and a person that's in inspired you maybe there's a play that you've worked on that is really close to your heart or it can just be anything or anyone or it could maybe just be the office where you read the scripts for the first time and get thoughts into your mind about how you're going to direct this for the stage so Matthew Zia whereabouts is your stage you place? Theatre Royal Stratford East. I'm afraid it's going to have to be
1: that, but that kind of opens up. It's like a prism, isn't it? And, and you refract me through that building and you get all of these different influences on my life and my work. So the very first people I met at Theatre Royal Stratford East were the youth theatre leaders. And they were incredible, empowering, enfranchising human beings. And they're still out there doing that brilliant work. So Julia Samuels, who was one of my drama teachers, who then went on to found 20 Stories High up in Liverpool and her partner, Keith Saha, I mentioned Alts, who I've had a, a lifelong relationship with since I was 16, and I am now, that times two, add another five or six. My maths is dreadful, but I'm 41. But Alts, you know, we just did Tambo and Bones together, and that felt really important, that the person that I'd started making professional theatre with was the person that I was returning to Stratford East with. Kerry Michael, who was the, the artist director who took over after Philip Headley. Philip Headley, who ran the, the theatre when I first walked through those doors, and who was the man who said, I'd like you to join the board of directors when I was 18 years old. And I said, I don't know what that means but I'll happily sit around that table and say nothing for three years until I build the confidence to start speaking Philip Headley who said when I said uh, I I kind of make beats and I, I I write raps and he said, oh, you're a lyricist and a composer, are you? Suddenly expanding my horizon about what I could do and who I was and and the skill set that I had. Clint Dyer, I mentioned Clint Dyer, who again has just been such a brilliant mentor. And even now when I have a wobble, I can phone him and I can check in and I can ask questions. So Theatre Royal Stratford East, where I saw my first ever pantomime, where I fell in love a million times with a million different people over a 20 year period. It's just that that special, special space and that auditorium will always feel like
0: home to me. Yeah, I love asking that question because I do just see with our guests like how much it means to people when they answer that question. So it's so lovely to hear that the Theatre Royal Stratford East is your staging place. Well, Matthew, once again, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. We've been talking about feeling afraid as if something terrible is going to happen, which is at the Bush Theatre from the 10th of November until the 23rd of December. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on today. No, thank you, Elliot absolute pleasure. And there we go, that was my interview with Matthew Zia, the director of Feeling Afraid As If Something Terrible Is Going To Happen, which comes to the Bush Theatre after a critical success at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival from the 10th of November until the 23rd of December. If you'd like to read more about the play, or book tickets for the production, you could do so by heading to our episode notes, wherever you are streaming this instalment of the Stagey Place podcast. So before signing off, I'd just love to thank Matthew once again so much for taking his time out to chat with me about the play I'm really excited to come and see the show whilst it's on at the Bush Theatre and I really hope that you guys have been able to listen to a very insightful conversation which allows you the information to come and see the play too whilst it's playing in London if this is the first time that you've listened to the Stage Place podcast then why not follow us on social media we're on Instagram X and TikTok at the Stagey Place where we show you a little behind the scenes about all of the shows that we go and see all across the UK as well as some really fun videos that we usually put up on TikTok from Day in the Lives to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and I'm sure this Christmas we'll have some fun videos about pantomimes all across the UK. So all that's left for me to say is thank you to you, the listener, for tuning into today's episode. And until next time, whether or not you join us on episode 121 with Sunu Kuribuchi, the Japanese video designer for Sputnik's Sweetheart, which is currently playing at the Arcola Theatre, or you're listening to one of our older episodes in the back catalogue of our podcast. We really hope that you do join us again here on The Stagey Place. My name's Ben Elliot. You've been listening to The Stagey Place podcast. And until next time, I hope you're keeping safe and staying stagey. Goodbye.